Libby writes with Brian Scott Libby. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippey Rights Podcast. We've got Sports Talk Mississippi do-it-all man Michael Borky to go over last week's SEC 2024 schedule release as Oklahoma and Texas enter the SEC. The divisional scheduling system goes away as the SEC, for the time being at least, will remain at eight games. We went through the scheduling mechanisms, why it's good for programs like Ole Miss and State, went through some schedules as well and just kind of broke all of it down as the future landscape of uh, SEC football is uh, changing here in the uh, very near future as well as the college football landscape in general as a whole. So I think you'll enjoy the conversation. Buckle up. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to remind you, this podcast is brought to you by Rent the Sip Oxford. Rent the Sip Oxford's Turnberry unit is located just off Old Taylor Road, less than a mile from campus, straight shot to Swayze Field, almost a straight shot to Vaught Hemingway Stadium. It will sleep eight comfortably and includes amenities such as pool, sauna, tennis courts, and it's gated. It's perfect for big game weekends. A lot of times it's hard to find a place in Oxford. Rent the Sip Oxford still has availabilities for the ULM, Mercer, and Vandy football weekends, as well as move-in week and Rush Week as well. They also have short-term stays available year-round. Go to rentthesipoxford.com or reach out to bracken at rentthesipoxford.com if you want to reach out during email to check availability. So not only is it good for big game weekends, it is nice for just any time you're passing through Oxford. Maybe you need to quickly find a place to stay. Go online, check them out, see what availabilities they have at rentthesipoxford.com or reach out to bracken at rentthesipoxford.com if you want to get in touch via email. When you book a two-night minimum stay and you use the promo code RippyWrites, that'll get you 100 bucks off of your stay. Check them out, rentthesipoxford.com or one more time, check them out at that email if you have questions at bracken, B-R-A-C-K-E-N, at rentthesipoxford.com. Really appreciate them sponsoring the podcast. Be sure to take advantage of that offer now. Podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Go check them out. If you're wanting to build up your bankroll before football season, Mark Harris and the guys at Skybox NASCAR are crushing it on the track every weekend just racking up positive unit weekends but as football season will be here before you know it just go online to skyboxsportspicks.com you can find a picks package that fits your price range you can try it for a day a week a month whatever college football nfl football they've also got college basketball coming up uh, not too far from that as well all you have to do is go sign up for the picks package type in the promo code rippy r-i-p-p-e-e and that'll get you 20 percent off any purchase they're the only way to profit in the long run check them out skyboxsportspicks.com this podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue in Oxford. Go see Greg. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats right now. It is a six, three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation that you're getting for 20 bucks there. Go in there, show Greg proof of subscription. He'll get you set up with the Rippy Wright special. Then go find all your own favorites. It's prime grilling season. It's summertime. Enjoy the weather outside. And... Go find all your own favorites. It has LB's has a fresh selection of seafood, all kinds of different cuts of meat, fresh sausages. It is the best butcher shop in the world. Go today, LB's University Avenue there in Oxford, best butcher shop in the world. All right, here is Michael Borky on the 2024 SEC football schedule. All right, we now welcome on good friend of the program, pretty much a semi-regular of this show at this point, Sports Talk Mississippi, Super Talk Mississippi's do-it-all man, Michael Borky, Sports Talk Mississippi, 3 to 6 p.m. 
every weekday. My old uh, stomping grounds by that point. Part of me was like, am I really going to do a schedule show in June? But then I was like, you know what? This is actually interesting content. Thank you, SEC. You may but usually make us just get into this silly season where some asshole reporter just kind of says, I think this team's going to do X next year. People get mad about it. We talk about it for a week. And then it's like, my God, please get me to the actual season. We actually have some news. And we're going to talk about some scheduling stuff as Oklahoma and Texas enter the SEC. And really the entire landscape of how the SEC from a football standpoint is going to operate. Um, based off the 2024 schedules and beyond. But first up, how we doing, dude? How's things been going at the show? Th- things are good, man. And I, I'm with you. I, I often say that when people criticize college football and they say things like it's becoming the NFL, I always, and I'm a, you know, I, I'm a broken record. I say this all the time. You want college football to look more like the NFL. And here's what I mean by that. The NFL has salary caps. They have rules that are strictly enforced. They have contracts. College football, I don't know if they'll ever be able to get those things, but you would see more balance in college football if those things were implemented. So you want it there. And it's also stuff like this. The NFL does a phenomenal job of keeping fans engaged for 11 months out of the year. They give March to college basketball. Otherwise, it's the draft. The Saints just finished their mandatory mini camp today. Training camps here, what, a month and a half from now. They have a very long season. They have the playoffs, and then you start it all over again. Schedule release day is a week's worth of a news cycle. They do all this stuff to keep fans engaged. I love that the SEC just handed us interesting free content in the middle of June where, with all due respect to the College World Series, nothing else is going on really. And so I want this to be an annual thing. Give me the schedule, but plus dates and stuff too, every June or very early July, because it's better than, as you said, here's a, like I saw pro football focus yesterday, do a thing about who's going to be the best quarterback in the SEC. And they had Spencer Sanders's name on there, not Jackson Dart. And I thought he's got to win the job from the incumbent first, but that's the otherwise content that we deal with this time of year. At least we have something better and more interesting than that. You're exactly right. And this in, in years forward will make a schedule release actually kind of interesting. And maybe they get into a regular pattern that we're in now where you can semi figure it out. I feel like ever since like A&M and Missouri joined the SEC, no one actually understands how the East like opposite division rotational thing happens. Maybe I'm just not smart enough or too lazy to figure it out. But point being like you generally, I mean, you knew what five of your SEC or six of your eight SEC opponents were going to be is my point. I don't know how it's going to work now, whether they go to the nine game schedule and you get three regular opponents or stay with the eight and get one, but it will make the uh, schedule release actually a bit newsworthy and fun to go through. I'm not the biggest NFL. I love the NFL. Don't get me wrong. I'm not the biggest off season NFL content guy. We're like, I don't need to see someone on ESPN back. Here's why the Cowboys are going 12 and four win, 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 loss, touch the little screen. That's not that interesting to me, but talking through different schedules when there's actually different variety every year is going to be fascinating. The NFL part of it is always hilarious to me because I get the appeal of college football versus the NFL. Even if I like the NFL a little bit more, right? The NFL is a lot more corporate. You don't get the attachment. It's not the school you went to. It's not the pageantry and the emotion and the loyalty of Saturday. But with the way college football is heading, 
you're going to get kind of the NFL aspect while staying like, unless people stop tailgating in the Grove, unless people stop rapidly posting on message boards all the time, you're not going to lose the pieces that you like of it. It's just going to become a better product. So that's why I don't understand. I don't want it to become the NFL argument. That would be like me or you at whatever company work for big. I'm just not real into them anymore. They're trending toward becoming fortune 500. And I'm just not about that. It's like, Oh, really, man, (laughs) what do you hate about that? I just, I, you know, it's like, I don't want them to become the most successful sports entity or more like the most successful sports entity on earth. I I've never understood that. I think this is a good thing for in the most balanced sport. That's we need, if there's anything that this sports lacking is balance. You're exactly right. And they're trending towards more of that. And, and I'm sure you saw it. USA Today posted uh, the the annual revenue from the the 2022 academic or academic athletic year, and Ole Miss 133 million is what they brought in in revenue. You've got schools in the SEC or schools that are about to join the SEC that literally double what you make, double what you make, and they turn around and spend it all, where. In the NFL, for example, small market New Orleans doesn't make the same money as the Dallas Cowboys, but they can only spend this amount, and that's it. And, and you can't exceed that amount. And I know that college, it's harder to enforce, and, and you can't have a draft because you can't force kids to go to certain colleges. It's more complex, and it's more nuanced uh, than just put a salary cap because, as we know, rules aren't exactly followed or enforced in college sports. But, man, when I saw that financial discrepancy, I thought, Number one, Ole Miss does a hell of a job being competitive with Texas A&M, for example. How Ole Miss is able to be competitive in sports with Texas A&M is baffling considering the financial differences. Texas hasn't won the Big 12 since 2009. That's my favorite stat lately. And, And they literally make double the money that Ole Miss does. So it's outstanding that Ole Miss is so good in football. 18 wins in the last two years. Only two teams in the SEC have won more. That's another one of my favorite stats lately. Baseball almost just won a national championship. It's been a year now. And basketball has a top five coach in America, and they portaled really well. And suddenly you feel really good about the status of of your money sports and how competitive you've been as an athletic department lately. I mean, you you have golf national championships, and the tennis teams are always good. And, like, things are good at Ole Miss especially when you look at how far behind they are financially from these other programs. Imagine if it was equal. And do we ever get there? Who knows? But there's no, but trending in the opposite direction would never get you there either. You know what I mean? I think we eventually end up to something close to that. Will the SEC ever have an NIL cap or a salary cap? No, probably not. But we all, and we've talked about this a couple of times, like, Probably ultimately headed toward revenue sharing. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I had an agent on this podcast, not my buddy, but another guy who was a big NIL guy. And he's like, this is headed toward revenue sharing. These guys being employees, every smart person that understands this shit, like is telling you that that's eventually where it's heading. It's just a matter of how and when. So point being, this is overall a good thing. And it made probably for an interesting news day. I always think back when like the content's dead to you guys on radio. Um, I don't think anything will ever top what we went through during COVID for the time that I was there before I was no longer there. But like, I don't think anything will ever top us talking about Tiger King and the last dance and then being like, what, what, what in God's name do we do for the other hour and a half? 
But still, in a year where both baseball programs are bad, that's something you guys benefit from. Their seasons were over effectively in April. You could still kind of do the content piece till May or so. I dealt with the same thing on this podcast. This is a bit of a blessing. This is like real news in June. I bet today's show was a hell of a lot better than whenever the last time you guys did a mid-June show with no longer having Ole Miss or State in the postseason conversation in baseball. Absolutely it was. And we had a a Texas guy on today and – you know, say what you will about Texas and, and you know, the aura around that program. He seemed really, you know, he quote unquote covers the team, but he seemed really jacked up about the move. Uh, I mean, mentioned the fact that, you know, he loves the teams in the Big 12 and has developed a respect for them and the people there. But it's West Virginia and Kansas, although Kansas has beaten Texas lately and Kansas State, like your road trips are Morgantown and Manhattan and you know, Ames and Lubbock, and now it's Baton Rouge and Oxford and Athens and Knoxville and even the, the shitty team, Nashville. I mean, the worst team in the SEC, you go to Nashville to go see them play. I mean, just what a stark difference. And, and I'm excited about their inclusion as well. Next year, this is the last year of college football as we know it. The, the amount of change that's going to happen between now and next year in this sport is pretty staggering when you think about it because it's not just Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC and having a new SEC schedule, which is significant. USC and UCLA are joining the Big Ten. Their schedule's kind of getting blown up. They have no divisions. That's significant. A 12-team playoff is going to be here also in that time. In one season, conferences are getting flipped upside down. Divisions are going away, and the playoff is is getting expanded. And honestly, I I know there are some dissenters. I'm excited about every piece. I'm actually kind of excited to see USC in the Big Ten. I know it's weird. It doesn't make sense. But USC in Madison, Wisconsin, USC in Columbus, Ohio, and vice versa, that's awesome. Oklahoma and Oxford in 2024, that's awesome. And then if you go 9-3, and you get to play for the playoff with the right nine and the the right three. That's awesome. Like all of this is really good. Yes. It's almost like a more fair and balanced system where if you lose one or two games, your season's not over. And then your coach wants to leave to go somewhere else. And then you tank the month of November, not saying that's ever happened anywhere in near recent memory or anything like that. Just a purely a hypothetical. But the other piece of that too is, you know, I I listened to a lot of Ryan Rosillo podcasts and he was talking about, about a year ago about the conference realignment, I think it was on the heels of the USC UCLA news where it was like, I get it that this is where this is going. You're going to get more matchups. This is awesome. But you lose the regional rivalry, kind of what cultivated what people like about college football beyond just the sheer product on the field. And I get that piece of it. I'm interested in USC UCLA going to the big 10, but like you mentioned, I also understand how it doesn't make sense. I also fully understand how it's like, ah, like, is Ohio State USC really going to be some awesome rivalry if they're playing every single year and it's a conference game? Like, you know, you have the novelty of Notre Dame USC, and that's a bit of an outlier. I get that piece of it. The thing that SEC fans get to benefit from, Texas and Oklahoma makes sense. I'm not sure if anyone's out there listening has ever been to Norman. I get Austin is a little bit of a weird place sometimes, but you set foot in the Texas ecosystem of Austin, that's an SEC school that's in the Big 12. Oklahoma, 
SEC school that's in the Big 12. Both have huge Greek lives. Both love football. Both love basketball. Both are never questioning whether their AD actually wants to spin to win, that type of stuff. The one of the things that the SEC has been- Even the baseball is, cultures are good at both places. That's a great point. Both, I mean, hell, Oklahoma played for the national championship last year. I get that they don't have great, like, you know, Oklahoma probably doesn't draw a huge stadium, but, like, there's interest in Texas baseball. I would have to imagine there's some interest in Oklahoma baseball because they Oklahoma's played- Oklahoma's about to renovate their, their stadium. I think uh, they're putting millions into it uh, here in the near future so this makes sense it it makes sense if you go i swear to god if an old miss fan whenever old miss goes to norman if you go to norman you'll be like this is an awesome sec type road trip if you go to austin you'll know what you're signing up for but it's still an awesome road trip that makes sense the one outlier in all this sec expansion is why the hell missouri's in the mix here missouri should be in the big 10 I don't have like strong opinions on it, but hell, I, I've only been to Como twice, and it was both times when I worked for Super Talk. It's a nice place. I don't want to rag on the place, but it doesn't make sense in the SEC landscape. It is so totally different than anything you experience at an SEC school, and even in the bigger cities like Columbia, South Carolina, or Vanderbilt's a little bit of an outlier, but the other places like that, it's such an outlier. I know I've told this story a bajillion times, but when I worked there for football and Super Talk in 2019, I left my credential at Will Call. I had to go get it Saturday morning. I'm walking through their tailgate area, which is more sparse than you would typically imagine what an SEC school would be. And they're all watching the Cardinals and Nationals in the NLCS because it was like a 1 p.m. first pitch. Like, it's such an outlier. If anything, the two new schools you're adding make your conference more SEC than anything else. Yeah. And it's crazy how quick the landscape changed too, right? Because the addition of Missouri, that that was the criticism at the time was, it doesn't feel like they fit, but it was the TV markets, right? That was what was so attractive about getting them in was television markets. It just doesn't matter anymore. People it, realize it, the whole like, oh my God, you're going to get the St. Louis market. You're going to get the Cincinnati market. You'll get the Memphis market. That shit does not matter. Doesn't matter. It, it simply doesn't. And it, man, it's changed a lot. But yeah, they, they don't fit at all. And I'm curious when expansion happens again. I don't think it will. Not for a while anyway, because if you believe the reporting, the ACC has tried everything they can to get out of the grant of rights, and it doesn't sound like they can do it. I mean, more than half the league has got to decide to leave, and will more than half the league have a destination if they do? I don't think that answer is yes. So they might be stuck there, which I think is good, honestly. I, I think another round of massive realignment might be a little too much. I, I like what's happening right now. I like the big changes. I, I like the Texas and Oklahoma are joining. But after Colorado and Utah leave and the Arizonas leave the big tw- uh, the Pac-12 and decimate that league, I want everything to calm down a little bit. Because if you add, what, four teams to the SEC or whatever it would end up being, you have to blow all this up again and, and everything changes again. And you're talking about TV deals again. And this is in the midst of trying to legislate NIL and portal. And it just, it feels like that would be so much to digest that you would forget that actual football happens sometimes. A hundred percent. And part of what happens with the expansion and part of what breads it is the conferences that have power the attractive conferences see attractive schools. Who else is out there? That's attractive. The reason the ACC hasn't really gained much traction is because despite whatever they want to think of themselves or what maybe other people think about Miami, Miami's not actually that attractive of a school to add to your conference. I guess Clemson kind of is. And if you're talking about some other layer 
of conference expansion beyond this one, I'm with you. I think it calms down too. I think we maybe have one more like mini layer of expansion, but it's really the last few partners in this musical chairs game finding a home. And then you kind of get set. But outside of Clemson, Florida State, which I know a lot of people are like, Florida State's not actually that attractive of a school to to the SEC. And most more people that have said that that are way more well-sourced than I am, I don't have any like wait, I don't have any reason not to believe them. But Florida State would make sense in the SEC. I mean, Tallahassee, been there once or twice, pretty wild place. Like they like baseball, they like basketball, they obviously love football. That would make sense. But if the SEC doesn't view them as that attractive, then just cross another one off the list. The reason you probably won't see more seismic shifting is who else left is out there that conferences, and when I say conferences, it's really just the Big Ten and the SEC. Who else do they want? It's Oregon, Florida State, Clemson. I, I could see an argument for North Carolina, but who am I missing someone? Who else is there? I think NC State would, would honestly be Fair. a nice addition to the SEC. Uh, I think, I mean, Raleigh's growing and really economically sound and uh, cool place to watch a game. You know, it, it's not like, when you think the state of North Carolina and who do you want, NC State is usually third uh, because Duke and basketball. But I actually, I've been to games there and Raleigh's fun. It's a fun place and it, it kind of does feel SEC. They care. They draw. They play good baseball. They play good basketball. But does the league need them? No. W w would Would Disney pay more to have them? And adding them would cause more logistical headaches like everything you outlined a second ago. Yeah. And oh, by the way, by the way, because I know we're here to talk schedules and we haven't done that yet. Uh, all of the bullshit, forgive my language. Uh, I can actually say this, though, because the FCC doesn't regulate this. All of the bullshit that you saw a couple of weeks ago from college football media. And I'm not even talking about guys like Danny Cannell who play a character like put put his stuff aside. But when you're talking you have, about Stu Mandel's of the world, Stuart Mandel and in, in, in Rittenberg, who I really like in in. What was it, Tom Fornelli, that called the SEC cowards? Two things. Look at the 16 SEC schedules. And don't even put the non-conference games in there, but you can if you want to, because Alabama, for example, is in Madison, Wisconsin. Texas A&M is playing Notre Dame. Uh, so on and on and on. Find me a Big Ten schedule. One Big Ten schedule, because they laid theirs out last week or two weeks ago. In 2024, find me one that is more difficult than any one SEC schedule. Don't hold your breath because it's going to take you a long time to find it. It doesn't exist. And so when you had these people called the SEC cowards, Tim Brando called it disturbing is the word that he used. All that, all that criticism of these people that are, are so intentionally obtuse, I guess is the word that you can use, to think that the only thing separating the Big Ten schedule difficulty from the SEC is the fact that they play nine conference games and the SEC plays eight. Like, that's the difference, is that Ohio State has to go to Piscataway this year, whereas Ole Miss is playing Georgia Tech. Like, that's your difference, that it was so intentionally stupid and, and ignorant to reality. The eight-game SEC schedule is tougher than the nine-game Big Ten schedule. And now that you can put them side-by-side, there is no argument. You cannot make an argument that one is more difficult than the other if you are not talking about the SECs being more difficult than the Big Ten. You cannot find one. I put them side by side. Can't find one.
I don't really care if the SEC goes to an eight or nine game schedule. It really doesn't like, again, I probably haven't read up enough on this as I probably should have, but I don't see it as that big a deal. And to your point about the hysterics of it, calling it cowardly and things of that nature is just like nonsense to me. I, I, I guess I'll do one last quick sidebar before we actually get in the prelude of the schedule. I have some thoughts about the national college football guys who cover college football. Stu Mandel, very connected guy, worked his way up in the ranks, has a great job in media, very much more connected than I could ever dream to be. The guy lives in like the suburb of like San Francisco or the Pacific, not the Pacific Northwest, excuse me, the Bay Area. I felt weird living in Dallas for a year and a half when I had to watch all the Ole Miss games on TV. And if I wanted to go to a bar to watch it, I had to worry if it was a TCU bar, an Arkansas bar, an Oklahoma bar, a Texas bar, or a Baylor bar and make sure they had the game on. I felt a little bit disconnected on my own living two states away in a very southern place. How the hell does Stu Mandel actually get the pulse on college football living in the uh, Bay Area? I know that sounds silly. I know he talks to people. But you're just creating like a cocoon of your own creation to where you can't actually get the pulse on things unless you're just super into the Pac-12 failing. Well, yeah, but the thing is, it shouldn't require you to to live anywhere when when objectivity shows you reality. If you yes. just watch the games on television, you, you all, that's all you need to see. I, I found that discourse so pathetic and, and bizarre and. On the vote to go from eight or nine, this is something that I said on the show and also in podcast form. I mean, I, I said this a thousand times. The SEC needs to go to nine when they get more money and not a second sooner. And here's why I say that. I think it's pretty obvious uh, to most people anyway, but could you imagine going to your boss, you, you work nine to five, and saying, hey, boss, count me in for eight to six. Ah, keep your money, though. Pay me the exact same salary I'm making. Pay me my $50,000 a year, but I'm going to add two extra hours to my workday just for you. I mean, that's insane, right? That's what these people were telling the SEC to do. ESPN slash Disney currently has their TV deal for eight conference games. That's what the TV deal is for. ESPN does not have to pay them more if they go to nine without securing that money first. It would be terrible negotiating on the SEC's part to just expand their conference schedule without making more money. Because if you're Keith Carter and Zach Selman, for example, the two ADs in this state, do you think it's worth making your schedule more difficult, I know it's just by one game, without securing more money from ESPN? Some people say that answer is yes. There are fans out there that just want a schedule that has fewer Middle Tennessee's and more Tennessees. And I understand that and respect that completely. As a person that does content for a living, I would prefer more games that matter more because more people hear and listen to the lead-up to those games and the reaction to those games than when it's Middle Tennessee. But it's anecdotal. When we asked our audience, what would you rather have, eight or nine, the overwhelming majority of our audience was like, no, keep it at eight. I want to make the playoff. Make it easier. Right. I want to make the playoff. And if you're Keith, if you're, if you're Zach, I think I could be wrong. I have a feeling that the majority of their season ticket holders and the people that go to their games and their donors feel the same way, that they would rather have a middle Tennessee instead of a Tennessee if that meant more wins to give them a chance to play in the playoff. I don't think 
And, and again, I could be wrong. I mean, maybe your, your guys, your message board thinks completely differently and they, they would prefer nine. I would dig my heels in and I, I am not changing my vote until you guarantee in writing from Disney, we are getting more money for making our schedule harder. Otherwise, I'll keep playing my non-conference power five and I'll schedule Tulane and my fans will love going to New Orleans because New Orleans, especially uptown, is a freaking party and 25,000 Ole Miss fans are going to be in or around the stadium on that game day. We'll keep playing those and we'll have a chance to make the playoff and I'm not changing my mind until you give me more money. I agree. And like, it's, it's one of those things too. I mean, I was going to ask you, like you just answered the question before I asked is like, educate me on why they don't want to get a nine versus eight. You just did a good job of doing that as someone who doesn't really have any interest in reading up on it. Cause I just don't really care that much. You get an awesome college football slate. I would love to do away with the November bye week that SEC teams have, where you just look at the schedule the you know week before the Egg Bowl or two weeks, and you're like, really, no one's playing this week. I would love to do away with that. But outside of that, the eight to nine thing doesn't really bother me because you have the like the rule with the one Power Five opponent you have to play. I mean, hell, we'll get to it in a second. Look at Florida, Florida's 2024 schedule. My God, do you envy them? But you're right. If they don't make more money, what do they have any incentive to do it? I'll pose one theory at you, which I have not really even thought out at all. It just as you said that, I thought of it. We're about to go to a 12-team playoff. If that expands to 16 or 24, look, it's not shrinking. I'm not saying it'll expand. I'd prefer it stay at 12 probably for the most part. That seems pretty fair. But if it goes to like 16 or 24, do you think that would prompt them to do the nine-game schedule because it doesn't actually matter? You could go yeah, to nine, it, three and eight and four in a weird year and get in the playoff. Yeah, if they keep expanding the playoff, sure. Absolutely, yeah. You probably and, also need a qualifying system because absent of a qualifying system, if you're getting just judged on random metrics each week about your resume, then I probably still wouldn't do it. But that would lead me to be like, hey, it doesn't matter as much. Yeah, and they've got them now. Uh, you know, the the four buys, you have to win your conference championship to secure a buy. So, it, you know, at least there's that and, and, and that helps. But yeah, I could see them. I, I think it's all about money, though. Uh, Greg Sankey I can agree. say all day. That that money shouldn't lead. I think that was his quote, right? Money shouldn't lead. Money should follow. Uh, Greg, money leads, and you know that, and everybody knows that. Uh, it, the the decision is almost exclusively based on money, uh, and that's. So I guess it was Marcelo that reported that Ole Miss was quote unquote on the fence. That that's what that, that's as far as I understand it, and I could be wrong, and Neil and Chase could correct me. I believe Ole Miss is on the fence exclusively waiting for the money piece. They want to know how much Disney will, will will raise, and and otherwise uh, they're not going to vote until they know. And it, it just just because there's more money, that doesn't necessarily mean a vote will change either. It's got to be a certain amount of money to make it worth it. Because yes, like the season opener this year for Ole Miss, I've talked about it with you before on this very feed. I like the FCS games only because of the purpose that they serve. Watching them sucks. Going to them sucks. They serve an important purpose because Mercer needs that game to continue to exist as they do. But I understand that some people, especially thanks to Lane choosing a one o'clock kickoff on September 2nd for the streaming game, uh, fewer nobody's going to go to that game. But there are people, because I've talked to them, that when next year Georgia Southern's in town in week three, I think, right? Week three, week four. They're going to love driving up to Oxford on Friday night, going to dinner, waking up, going to the Grove, sipping their whiskey, knowing, yeah, we're going to go win today. And they go sit in the stadium, 
and they enjoy a win that's comfortable and that's not stressful, and they'll walk out of the stadium and they'll go to the bar and they'll go to bed and they'll drive back to the Jackson area on Sunday morning, happy as hell. And that weekend is very satisfying for those people. So it's, but it's interesting. Those games do kind of suck. They do. They But Mercer sucks worse than those, uh, for sure. I mean, well, have you talked about that, the decision to, to to put the season opener at 1 o'clock in the afternoon? I have not. I mentioned it to Chase the other day. We did like a live golf podcast, and I think at the end I was like, again, I catch a lot of this like news that I don't find crucial at a distance, and I'm just like, hey, I'll read up on that later. Why? Like, what? What's the? Who had the um, choice? Is what I'd like to know. Well, Ole Miss had the choice, so it's put it at the hottest time of the day. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and there's there's a couple of theories that I've heard as to why uh, it's. Somebody told me that it's about the players having their body clock right for the road trip to New Orleans or getting acclimated to that kind of weather for the road trip to New Orleans. Um, Even if that doesn't make sense, that's a very Lane Kiffin theory that I believe that he believes, if that makes sense. I Let's put it this way, because I, I don't know for sure, but we know that Ole Miss, Ole Miss got to choose that. The streaming game, which that one is, you get to choose your kickoff time. Ole Miss chose that. So somebody there said, this is when we need to kick the game off. 1 p.m. is also so random. Have you ever heard of a 1 p.m. kickoff? No, it and it is one, right? Like, we we know for sure. Yeah, is it it's one, one or is it, it's one? Um, I couldn't remember if it was one or it was two. I think Arkansas is doing three, which, again, why? But the athletic director and the marketing people, what time do you would they prefer that game to be played? Six. So who else is involved in the decision? Lane Kiffin. And so what and that, that is, you have, like I said, doesn't actually make sense, but it's something that I could see Lane Kiffin saying and believing in his heart of hearts that it actually matters about the body clock. I mean, I think, I think it's incredibly stupid, honestly. What, what's, what's the point of training camp and practice? And my gosh, if you need to play Mercer at one o'clock to beat Tulane in week two, you're not winning any SEC games anyway. So, and um, in his I, total defense, if he gains nothing again, as much as he loves to complain about crowd size, and stuff like that. If he actually really gains nothing from the time and he actually thinks that might give him a small advantage, like why not do it for the lack of any other better option or suggestion other than it, fans it, being in the stands? Well, the, but and that's something that has frustrated me when it comes to college football in particular. And we've actually I think we've talked about this before last time I was on where where you've got like other schools in the SEC, one of which may be in this state that is charging fans for interviews uh, and like yeah. behind the scenes content. It is a SEC. It's, it's a ESPN plus, but in-house. So in-house ESPN plus, I think Arkansas has one of those as well. I mean, others are doing it too, but when you're already asking fans to pay more for season tickets, pay more for their seat donations, gas is expensive now. I mean, in, in everyday life expenses are also uh, going up every single day. Have you gone to the hospital lately? Uh, not going to I have not, but I hope wait, that doesn't jinx me. Wait till you see when that bill shows up to your house, even when you are fully insured and covered. Uh, it's insane, and it takes months to pay off. Ask me how I know. Uh, so w- all of that's going on, and then now you're telling them you have to donate to NIL if you want to win. And then also, if you want to see an interview with your coach, you have to pay $7.99 a month or whatever. So you're already bleeding these fans dry. And luckily, Ole Miss doesn't ask people to pay for content because I think that's ridiculous. And it's good that they that they do the season and they do that stuff 
without asking people to pay for it. That's that's a very good thing. But but you're doing all this, and then you're playing a shitty game against a team that nobody cares about, and then you're scheduling it at the hottest point of a September 2nd Mississippi day. You're telling your fans you don't matter. We can choose when we kick off. The other six home games, TV tells us when to kick them off, and we have to say yes. We have no say. But one time we have a say. And they choose to make it the most miserable point of the day for the most miserable game of the season. They're telling you, your fans, you don't matter. And so if you're going to do that, not that what I say on the radio matters to anybody, but if Lane Kiffin complains about fans and atmosphere and attendance after that game, I will spend three hours at the time that he chose for the time that he chose. I will leave Richard and Haydad's microphones off and I will spend three hours talking about how much of an asshole Lane Kiffin is. Like if you don't complain about fans, if you, if you don't say anything at all, if you just, you just, that's when you schedule the game and you don't even mention it. You don't talk about it. You don't take shots at your fans. Like you did last year after the Tulsa game. If you don't do any of that, whatever. I still think it's kind of a middle finger to the people, but if you don't say anything and you accept that fewer people are going to go, all right, man, then your body clocks better be good and acclimated for New Orleans a week later, and you better kick the shit out of Tulane. Uh, But if he does, if he does, I will spend three hours just just ripping on him because it's 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 unfair to the fans. It's totally unfair to the fans when you get to choose to choose that. Totally unfair. All right, conspiracy theory. Lane seemingly has figured out that he maybe lost a little bit of public favor with how he handled the Auburn thing. He reads a lot of Twitter. Maybe he's like, some of our students got a little of the malady. And if we can put them in this microwave box, a couple hundred of them could spontaneously combust due to the heat. We might be better off. Just zap <laughs> them up like there's some. <laughs> uh, they all I've never sat in that student section. But I have been in it when it's a non-game day section. When they moved the student section, I started covering football full time. That was my senior year at the DM. So I never sat in that student section. You can tell by looking at it, it's miserably hot. And you think about it, 1 o'clock on Labor Day weekend, no protection, full metal bleachers. I'm not going to be an alarmist and say it's dangerous, but my my God, how do you sit down? Do you have to pour water on your seats? Like that that seems awful. Yeah, it, it looks absolutely horrible. I, I I don't know how they do it. I respect the hell out of them, especially the pledges who who have to wear the uh, the sport coats and the ties, which uh, oh I guess that doesn't happen until October. Does do they do it right away or do they still wait? Well, they like moved they up rush, so now it's like a week or two into school. It might not literally happen that week, but a week or two after that, it'll be sooner. And that's just that's a Lord of the Flies situation. You get those kids saving seats, drinking liquor, no protection above them. It's still at ninety five degrees in late September. It's like how many fights will we have? Well, look out for that Georgia Tech game then, which I love that kickoff time. If we're if we're talking kickoff times, uh, that should be a really fun weekend in Oxford. I mean, the team should be two and zero. It's it's a six, I think a six o'clock start. I know Georgia Tech's not like a a world beater, but it's still kind of a brand. Everybody should be feeling really good about it. That that should be a really fun weekend to go to town. That's not an SEC game. I actually think Georgia Tech could be a tougher opponent than Tulane. I said that on the show. Hey, that disagreed with me. I, I think that considering what Tulane lost from last year's team, if Ole Miss goes down there and, and really struggles, I, I get it if like after the first quarter, it's like 10 to seven or whatever. Okay, I, sure. 
But if that's a four-quarter struggle, then I think that's going to be a real sign of issues for that team. I think that they're going to go down there and just kick Tulane's ass. But if they don't, then that's a sign of bad things to come. I, I genuinely I, – I agree generally, too. Like, I think that could be 10 nothing Tulane after a quarter, but Ole Miss wins 35-20, 35-17, something like that. I think Georgia Tech could be a sneaky one. Let's – uh. Let's actually get into the schedules as we did this schedule podcast about 35 minutes in. But uh, people that listen to my show are used to me rambling for in and order. That's all right. Time. Yeah, you know, it's a podcast. Where are you going? Don't turn that car off yet out there, listener. All right, let's get in the schedule. I want to do old, we'll do Ole Miss and State first. Then we'll kind of just do a little uh, a la carte of what I also find interesting. So Ole Miss's schedule in no particular order. Their home games in 2024, SEC home games, I should say. They get Georgia, Kentucky, Mississippi State, and Oklahoma and Oxford. They get Arkansas, Florida, LSU, and South Carolina away. Vanderbilt screwed me up. They're the next one below, but that's their actual schedule. So those are their eight conference games. The first thing that sticks out to me is, and it's funny enough, as we recorded this on a Thursday evening, uh, a buddy of mine that I came uh, that I work with came into my office today, and we were kind of like, generally just talking about the schedule changes and stuff. And he's pretty in tune with sports. And he was just like, I just, there's part of me that likes playing Alabama every year. And he wasn't like trying to make some salient point about how this was the wrong decision or anything like that. He was just kind of like, I just kind of like the fact that we get, like we play Alabama and Tuscaloosa or play them in Oxford every year. And like, there's just something about that where, you know, that's a huge game every year, even if you really don't know you have a chance. And I get that logic while he wasn't, begrudged by this new schedule but that also like the inverse of that what stuck out to me is their first schedule guess who's not on it auburn lsu or alabama and what has prevented old miss from having a realistic chance to win excuse me lsu's on it auburn alabama but in some years you're probably like the odds of you having all three on the schedule in the same year is almost slim to none what has prevented old miss when it's had some of its best teams whether it's the hugh freeze era in 2014 2015 um, hell, even Ole Miss in 2021, what has kind of been their hangup of winning the SEC West is it's just a gauntlet. You have to go to Auburn. You have to go to LSU. Maybe you get Alabama at home. The weird A&M hiccup made it to where they played Alabama and Auburn on the road in the same year and at home in the same year too. Like, again, getting Georgia on the schedule is no peach if we assume Georgia is going to be any semblance of what they are in college football as they exist in this moment. But just the fact that you don't have that West slog and that West grime on your schedule would make me more optimistic as an Ole Miss fan immediately. Yeah, absolutely. Especially the 12-team playoff is here. So that that Georgia game at home, which, I mean, God knows how much changes between now and then. Even Georgia could look differently than they do right now. But that game is not a season killer uh, anymore. Hell, that game at LSU aren't season killers. In, in the era of a 12-team playoff. So, yeah, that paired with the, the fact that you have more access it should change things. What what I like about this, because I saw some people, and, and I got a few messages myself that were like, dude, we got screwed here. And I thought, no, not really. I mean, I mean when you compare it to everybody else's eight-game schedule in the SEC, I thought they did a really nice job of balance. A&M appears to have gotten kind of a break. Alabama's is really tough, but generally when you look at them all, it's like, you know, those games suck. Those games are nice. I think getting Kentucky back in Oxford is, is a good thing. 
having Oklahoma, if nothing else, is going to be a hell of a weekend. And right now, are you confident that that program is going to be formidable the way they used to two years from now? Maybe they are, but you know, there's no reason to think that that's some kind of daunting game at the moment. The Egg Bowl is what it is. What kind of state is Arkansas and Florida going to be in when you play those games two years from now? I mean, is Billy Napier even going to be at Florida by then? What's Arkansas going to look like? Sam Pittman hasn't exactly taken that step forward as a program yet. They're still kind of in purgatory where they're competitive and, and sometimes competitive anyway, and they're just kind of where they are. And no, you don't usually win games in Fayetteville. You haven't in quite some time, but still, I mean, I look at this and think that, yeah, like you said, optimism is is kind of a theme here. There, there's It's not daunting the way that some people are making it out to be when you compare it to the rest of the league anyway. It's also just one year. Even if you feel like you got screwed in 2024, the odds of you catching a break in this new setup are exponentially larger than in the past. Guess what you kind of sort of get halfway screwed every year by if you were old Miss in the old system? Well, having to play Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Texas A&M, Arkansas, and Mississippi State every single year, bar none. Maybe you get lucky if it's home and road thing, but... I mean, in, a, in an SEC where the West has been the better division for, I don't know, is it is 15 years since the, since the Urban Meyer Florida era ended? Is it fair to say that the West has been demonstrably better pretty much every year, maybe with some lone exception since then? Like, you're, you got a no, chance. No, it's absolutely fair to say. You absolutely, but you have a, a much better chance of catching a break. Like, okay, if Ole Miss is like Ole Miss fans, like, man, that schedule is tough. Well, what if in 2025, if assuming they stick with the one, the eight game schedule where you get one permanent opponent, what if you somehow draw South Carolina and Kentucky and God knows we'll just roll the dice and say Vanderbilt all in one year? That's three SEC East opponents that are not very good traditionally. That's a much better option than, again, as I outlined earlier, it being automatic that you're playing Alabama. LSU, Auburn, Texas A&M, as much as everyone loves to make fun of them, Arkansas, and Mississippi State every year. Like, I, I this is not the best example because Vanderbilt was Ole Miss's SEC East permanent opponent. I do think they caught a little bit of a break there. But there's no Vanderbilts in the SEC West. It's just never no. going to happen. And well, traditionally, there's really no Kentuckys and really, for the most part, what South Carolina's been. They're all competitive. They're all trying at a higher level. They all have a little bit more of a history. And so the odds of you catching a break in the scheduling in the next half decade are exponentially larger than under the old system. So even if you feel like you got screwed in 2024, look at the bigger picture. Absolutely. And and again, things change so much over time, but Vanderbilt did beat Kentucky and Florida last year. That happened. I mean, it's in and Vanderbilt. Gosh, I don't remember. Was Ole Miss losing at the half like, in Nashville last year, or were they? Yes, just, they were they, down. I want to say they were down three, and they were lucky not to be down ten. So Vanderbilt had you on the ropes for a little while. They should have beaten Missouri. They were driving right to to win the game and and went forward on fourth and two and didn't make it or something like that. They beat Kentucky and Florida. Um, it's not like they're just an easy out anymore. How long is that going to last? I don't know. I think Clark Lee's going to kind of have them 
good's not the right word, but they're not going to be pushovers, I don't think, under him. I've been impressed with what he's done so far lately, building a team that like will make you work for it on a weekly basis, as opposed to Derek Mason just lay down and please don't hurt me too bad. So even though you lose Vanderbilt, it's losing Vanderbilt and adding Kentucky, really what's the difference right now today? Which some people might think that's a stupid statement, but again, Vanderbilt did beat Kentucky last year. That happened. Kentucky, as consistent as they've been under Mark Stoops, they've been consistently slightly above average at best. At best. At best. And that's the, that's the crazy part about it, too, is like, again, kind of reiterating that point. One of the things in this modern age of college football where there's no patience, there's constant hiring and firings and program upheaval and the transfer portal and all that. I've gotten out of the business of looking at Ole Miss's schedule for 2023 or 2024 or whatever year it may be and be like, ah, they're not going to win that. Ah, they might win that. Hell, last year we thought at this time going to A&M, no way they're winning that game. Oh, but LSU's probably going to suck. They're going to take a step back. Brian Kelly will need a year or two to get that back up. Ole Miss should probably win that game. The entire the 180 of that narrative was true. LSU turned into a house of horrors for Ole Miss. And while AM was no easy game in College Station, but they won it because they finally got their head out of their ass and started you know, running the football with Judkins and a semi-healthy Evans a little bit better and took advantage of the fact that AM doesn't have a quarterback that can throw the football. You know what I mean? Things change so fast with these programs nowadays, out absent of Alabama and absent of Georgia. Those seem to be the two mainstays. I will point out that Nick Saban is 70-something years old. I don't think he can coach till 90. We'll see if it happens. But, like, you know, the post-Saban era, he is kind of in his mid-70s or early 70s now. When Alabama loses Nick Saban, assuming just assuming Kirby Smart and Georgia keeps rolling, it's kind of Georgia and then what else? So the fact that your schedule is yeah. more randomized sets you up more optimally optimally, I should say, to do what every Ole Miss fan has been wanting to do since most of them have been alive. It is to go to Atlanta and win. I say win the SEC West. That seems to be gone by the wayside. Put play in the SEC championship game. They have a better shot of that today than they did before the, the, this whole change was announced. Yep. And then make the playoff, which is something that they could have been close to a couple of times in this era, that they would have made it a couple of times in this era. I'm glad you brought that up. 2014, Ole Miss loses that crazy-ass game at LSU. Bo Wallace loses his mind. He throws a pick. Buchanan tried to blame – or I say Buchanan tried to blame. Freeze tried to blame Buchanan for uh, – what was it, a hold? Buchanan told a great story about something about how that happened down there that night. I can't remember off the top of my head. But you remember what happened the next week? Hugh Freeze coached terrified that night is what happened. But anyway. They played Auburn – the week after the first college football rankings came out, State was one, Auburn was two, and Ole Miss was four. That was the Treadwell injury night. That was an intense game. That was a very good Auburn offense under – was that Nick Marshall? Isn't that that kid's name? Never so. going to be a pro quarterback, but damn, that was dynamic under Gus. Credit to him. What if after a demoralizing loss like that, a tough loss, college game day there in Baton Rouge – eight o'clock at night in Tiger Stadium. What if Ole Miss got South Carolina the next week or Kentucky Missouri. and had a chance to gather themselves a little bit before 
Their schedule wasn't even that tough the rest of the way after Auburn. They were a shell of themselves by the time they got to Arkansas. Remember, Buchanan had to go in that game because Bo Wallace's yeah. ankle was just screwed. They'd already lost Treadwell. I believe Tunsil had an injury. They'd lost a couple guys. What if they had gotten South Carolina and then Presbyterian and then at Arkansas State? Do you think they would have turned out any differently? I think so. Yeah, and even then, they, they still would have been playing for a playoff berth in 2014 had it been expanded then. Even then, they still would have had that chance before the schedule could possibly get easier. I, I wonder, because they very clearly had um, not haves and haves nots, because that might offend people, but they had upper tier and lower tier in mind when they made these schedules. Can you do that every year? Probably not if you're going to create a model with rotations and, and stuff like that, right? So will they adjust the tier system? I, I, like, I, I'm curious to know how they, or if they try to continue to balance the schedules the way they did this year moving forward, and if so, what will that look like? In the little show prep that I did, I was thought about 2014, and then I was like, I'll use 2015 as an example, and then I realized they went on the road and lost to Florida, and I was like, who'd they play the next week? Oh, that's right. They, they went to Memphis and got their faces beat then. And Ole Miss beat Alabama, Auburn, LSU, and Mississippi State, Arkansas, and lost the West. Isn't that right? No, that was fourth and 25. That's You're exactly right. Fourth and 25. They beat Alabama, Auburn, LSU, and Mississippi State and somehow lost the West. That seems mathematically impossible, but I watched it happen. But I guess my point being is like, that's not a really great example, but the odds of things working out for you more favorably is so much better with this setup. And the next thing I wanted to get to is what your point was. We talked about the eight, nine game thing at the top of the show. I read in the athletic about two, three days ago when the schedule release came out or when it maybe it was yesterday. So apparently if they stick with the eight game schedule, there's only one regular opponent. And if they go to nine games, the odds right. are you'll get three. Have you read the same thing? Is that a general yeah. consensus? Mm -hmm. Well, we talked about Ole Miss being on the fence earlier. If it's a one regular opponent, we know who it's going to be, right? Yep. If it's three, who would you – just playing it out, who would you guess it would be? I, I would assume it would have to be LSU. Mississippi State, LSU, and Arkansas. But does – like how, how confident – I feel 190% confident in the fact that it's Mississippi State. I feel about 95 that it'd be LSU. And I feel about 60-ish that it would be Arkansas. What if they stick you with Auburn instead? What if they stick you with well, Alabama instead? How confident are you in the last piece of it that it's Arkansas? I have a – and they haven't even voted on this yet, so I don't know how educated this actually is. But my, my slightly educated guess is that they would do the tiers again. And okay. for for a team that's in the the bottom tier, numbers eight through sixteen, you would have two from your tier and one from the other, and vice versa. So tier one teams would have two from tier one, one from tier two, and vice versa. So Ole Miss would play Mississippi State, who was in theirs. Arkansas would be in theirs if that is where they went. LSU would be in the top tier. So if if it was Ole Miss and LSU the third opponent would have to come from the bottom. How do you define a tier, though? Uh, you can easily separate it by the revenue. The, sure. the And the SEC's release today, they did say they, they divided it out by conference wins since 2012, since conference expansion 
that's how they divided it for this schedule. But if those tiers become permanent, I wouldn't want that. And I know this sounds insane and people would be like, my God, this, this, this guy sounds totally nuts. But say Saban retires and Alabama doesn't get the higher right in five years. And Alabama kind of becomes what they were in the early to mid-2000s. And let's just say, I don't think this will ever happen, Arkansas gets the higher right, and all of a sudden they're like a 9-4 and four program on the fringe of the playoff every year, but Arkansas is your Tier 3 team. Like, would they reorchestrate the tiers? I just would not want to leave it up to chance. I would much rather have the one permanent opponent and please, God, scramble up the eight others or seven yeah. others. Excuse me. I found the line. This is from the SEC themselves today. Uh, quote, balance of schedule strength was based on each school's conference winning percentage since the last expansion of the SEC in 2012. The winning percentages for the performance of Oklahoma and Texas in the Big 12 since 2012 were included and determining 16 positions ranked by winning percentage. So, yeah, they did upper tier, lower tier. But that seems very much for this year. There's no way they could gauge that long-term, right? They would have no, to be up the tiers every year if that's the case. I wouldn't hate that. If they change the tiers, I wouldn't hate that. that or, or maybe maybe rotate it on every four years. So, so you well, What does that sound model. like? That sounds like an NFL schedule where if you're not a first place hey. team, you get a better schedule. Hey, that's that doesn't sound so bad now, does it? No, it does not. But if they did some arbitrary permanent, you're a tier one, tier two, tier three SEC program. I'd be like, count me out on that. Let's keep the eight games. Yeah, I wouldn't hate them adjusting it every four years. So you said a four year model, so you can have your home and away against every team in the league in that four-year window, and then you readjust the tiers every four years. So money aside, if we threw that completely out of the equation, if you were an Ole Miss person, you worked for Ole Miss, you were an Ole Miss booster, what would you rather have, eight or nine? Eight. I would, yeah, I, would I think it's a no-brainer. But I, I, I also would not is... like lose my shit over nine. Oh, no. And if, you know, for entertainment value, it would be there. But yeah, I, I think that I would rather... I value more making the playoff or having a better chance to make the playoff than I do give me an extra week of being entertained with the possibility of losing. That that I would value more. I think it would matter more for Ole Miss to make the 12-team playoff than it would to play, I just keep using them, to play Tennessee instead of Middle Tennessee. I would rather have that extra win with the opportunity to make the playoff because that, to me, matters more than a Saturday in Knoxville. And the one benefit of going to nine, I mean, there's more than one benefit. Like I said, I wouldn't lose my my you-know-what about it. But on top of that, the biggest win for Ole Miss and Mississippi State in particular is that you got rid of the divisions and the five permanent opponents that we covered ad nauseum. Yep. So I wouldn't lose it about the nine-game piece of it. But you talk about the eight versus nine and the automatic win you're going to get with Georgia Southern and Middle Tennessee. We talked about a lot, particularly towards the end of Super Talk when I was on the show, about attendance in college football being a problem in a day and age where it's harder and harder to get guys to like people to go to games. I mean, you've been around this as long as I have. I, I now live here again. When it's Furman weekend, it's like, oh, not that many people are coming up this weekend. I might hit up some of my buddies when LSU comes in two weeks. Or okay, yeah. this should be a lighter weekend. And I, my, the way I gauge it is, ah, oh, it's it's Furman, it's Mercer. I swear, Furman's not a personal shot at your Purple Paladins. I don't know why they came to mind. Presbyterian, whatever it is, it's like, all right, it'll be easier to get around Oxford. Not that many people will come to town. If you go to the nine-game schedule, if you have seven home games, you maybe get one dud tops. Yeah. And the mass shit simply wouldn't shake out any other way. 
So that would be better for attendance, which I would think to a smaller degree, because TV dominates this thing, would be better for revenue. And it would keep people more interested on a week-in, week-out basis. You remember when Ole Miss, it was my freshman year of college, which had been your senior year. Do you remember when they had six straight home games with the bye mixing in between? No. 2013, Hugh Freeze, I, fall of 2013. Six straight home games Ole Miss had with a bye separating the three. I, I didn't remember that. And there was a dud game, SEC game, bye dud game. That's three or four weeks in the heat of the fall where it's not a whole lot of people being like, I want to come to Oxford. You know what I mean? And if you eliminate that piece of it, I think that's good for everybody, even yeah. if though it's at the expense of the smaller schools. Yeah. And in the meantime, though, I, I really don't think the schools do a good enough job of incentivizing people to go to the crappy games. Uh, I think that they what could would you do, do better... different. I think that's fascinating. Like, what, what like, do you just put on like a, a circus type show where like this guy will be launched out of a cannon? How do you get people to go to the bad games? Well, for example, I, I would start with the students. Uh, th this is an idea. I need to be in sports marketing, I swear, because I've got ideas, man. I don't know if they're actually practical, but I do. For the students, for example, for the Mercer game, I would, if you scan their IDs, however you have to do it, whatever student remains in the student section in the fourth quarter, I will save your seat for the Georgia Tech game. You know what I mean? For, yeah. for, a, for a bad non-conference game, if you're there in the fourth quarter, I'll save your seat for the next game, or I'll save your seat for the first home SEC game, and you'll get a special access pass, and you'll get to sit for things like that, that they need to be a little bit more creative to, to keep people in the stands, or in the second half, slash the concession prices by 25% or 30% or 50%, whatever you can stomach. Do things like that to keep people in the stadium for longer, make it cheaper, make it more comfortable. I know it's very expensive. They need to get rid of all the metal bleachers, except for in the student section, and put permanent comfortable seats there. Things like that, just little things to take excuses away from people. To, to help them go to games and help them stay at games longer. That's what they need to be br brainstorming every single day. I like that. And how bold and per pervasive do you get with the alcohol sales and say, hey, Mercer, dollar tall boys. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's ultimately, let's be honest, that's what keeps people in the stands longer than anyone else unless you third have quarter you know, happy hour. seats where you're lockers, you know, locker the, storing. The like, Mercer game's third quarter happy hour. Uh, whatever. Let's say they sell the beer for six bucks in the third quarter, sell it for three. Two dollar high noons. Please stay and get yeah. as drunk as possible and fight each other in the stands. I don't think they're fighting over Mercer, but we'll see. Yes. <laughs> hey, the Bears are formidable. Okay. Look, I've learned quickly that no marketing idea is too crazy. I've told this story a couple of times on the podcast. The right before I left Dallas, I had a buddy that I played some golf with, and he was like, "You want to go to a NASCAR race?" I have someone that uh that I work with who apparently we have inside the pit tickets, which guess who didn't know what that meant? Your guy here. He's like, they're going to give us a tour of all the cars. It's the NASCAR all-star race, but the lower level series, which is called like the, I forget, Xfinity series. We get to go and watch that race before the all-star race. I was like, sure, dude, count me in. We quickly realized when we got there, the lady that gave us the passes, she wasn't just an insider. Her dad owned a race team. So like that was his race car. So we got to walk literally everywhere. I watched the race, half of the race from behind the uh, crew chief. I got to sit in the little above him That's thing so behind cool, him. man. Oh, that it was so sick. Cool. And like, we were all looking around at each other, like, how are we allowed to do this? But point being from a marketing perspective, they had a bunch of people at that motor speedway for a second tier race. 
And I was like, man, this is kind of incredible. And someone that worked for NASCAR that was kind of showing us around was like, well, we got all kinds of promotions. By the way, they're going to shoot someone out of a cannon. And I was like, guy, that's kind of funny. No shit. When we walked to pit lane, they shot a human out of a cannon onto a trampoline. <laughs> and I turned around and I was like, oh, my God, they actually did that. So point being, you can never get too creative with marketing ideas. No, and especially when it's especially when it's stuff like that, uh, you know, it, and even things like th that aren't necessarily related to games. But I think that you should do something special for students that like give to the Grove Collective or, or whatever. Like, hey, that's a great if, idea. If, if the students give and I don't know if the school is allowed to do this, but if the students give twenty five dollars or more to the Grove Collective, they get a section reserved in the student section or they get special access to practices or, you know, things like that to, to raise money and get them in the games and longer. But you can do that with fans too. I mean, there are things that they can do to keep people around. I know that they've got marketing people that work hard there. And I know that a lot of them probably listen to this podcast feed and, and I'm sorry if I'm offending. It's just from my vantage point, Ole Miss could do a better job of getting people to go to games. I mean, I forget what game. I think it was the Liberty game where they had thousands of unsold tickets, right? That that was not a good atmosphere that day. There was a lot of empty seats. And you'd go to the website, and the, like the Friday before the game, it's like $50 a pop to, to get in the door to watch them play Liberty at 11 o'clock in the morning. And it's like, are you guys not trying to move these? Are, are you not trying to move them? And if you are, why does nobody know that you're trying to move them? How are you trying to move them? There there are ways where you can get people in the door without cheapening your season ticket packages as well. I, I mean, th those are unsold, leftover, unpurchased things that by Saturday morning, you've got stacks of them in the office that are unused. And even if you give them away, somebody goes and he and little Johnny go to their first old Miss game because they can't afford to go to other old Miss games. So they, they they've lucked their way into a couple of tickets and dad's got 20 bucks to spend in the concession stands. And suddenly you develop a little fan for life. It's athletic departments miss are missing right now. The chances to develop young fans. They're, they're, they're pricing people out They're They're isolating people. And I think 10, 15, 20 years from now, it's going to be a problem. In large part, because they have too much other stuff to worry about. Like it's not an yeah. excuse, but it's also like a reason for causation and I agree with you 100%. One thing I will give them credit for, since Lane Kiffin has got here, and you may disagree, agree, the in-game experience once you get in there, they've done such a better job of making that event. I know like an event and like a kind of a fun atmosphere, even when the action is not yeah. happening in a modern day and age where college football has a gajillion commercial breaks. I know that DJ, I don't even know the guy's name, not everyone cup of tea but the light shows and stuff like that i talked to paris buchanan about that for a little bit one time uh not too long ago right before he left they've done a much better job of making the in-game experience better let's take that shit outside the stadium now and see what we can do outside the stadium in the concourses uh, as well you know make make it the the grove is awesome but the grove can't be the only thing you're, that you're selling there's, there's got to be more to it than that agree they's got to have more before i keep you here all night as we're an hour into this uh, schedule uh, breakdown podcast where we've broke, broken down half of the schedule. Let's go Mississippi State next. They get Arkansas, Florida, Missouri, and A&M at home in 2024. On the road, they get Georgia, Ole Miss, Tennessee, and Texas 
oof. I, again, yeah. I, I just said earlier that I'm out of the business of being like, oh, this is a loss, this is a win, and all that. That on the surface seems like an infinitely harder schedule than what Ole Miss got, even though Ole Miss – well, they both have Georgia. Just State has to go to Athens. That yeah. seems like the worst draw in year one. That road schedule is hell. I mean, even your in-state rival, you have to go on the road to. It's brutal. And they also go, I believe, to Tempe to play Arizona State uh, in 2024 as well. I think you're right about um, that, too. I remember reading about that. And there, it's hard to project anybody two years out. But, uh, you know, I saw some State fans like, oh, that's a schedule that we can win 10 games. And I thought, you have no idea what the program's going to look like under your coach yet. You you don't know what a Zach Arnett coached program is going to be like. You know, for all the questions about Ole Miss, and there there's a lot. You know, will the new defensive player Zach Lamate? I think it's going to be Jackson Dart, but who's going to play quarterback? Or will the transfer wide receivers be impactful? Stuff like that. Mississippi State's questions are: Can Zach Arnett manage a program as a head coach? He's never done it. Can their new offensive coordinator, who is changing the offense, now Zach Arnett is quick to remind you that they do air raid concepts, but they've added a tight end. They're not running the same offense. Um, can Will Rogers handle it? They lost three of their top four leading wide receivers from a year ago. Can they replace them and, and be productive? They lost their best running back. Can they replace him and still be productive? Can Will Rogers manage this new system? Will the two tight ends that they have added that have not played at the, their previous stops, can they be impactful? Can they play? There are so many more questions about Mississippi State going into this season, and most of the media that covers them is like, oh, it'll be fine. Oh, they'll be fine. Legendary football coach Mike Leach is gone. Ah, it'll be fine. Like, it, there's a chance that it is. I like Zach Arnett a lot. I think he's impressive. He's never run a program before. Mike Leach did it for two decades. And you're telling me that it's a certainty that there's going to be no drop-off when you're going from two decades to zero years? I, maybe, maybe that's true, but I don't know if that's true. I'm not convinced. Not yet. I got to see it first. It's a little bit of a – this is not a perfect comparison by any means, but they're in a very much more advantageous position than Ole Miss was when Matt Luke took over. There's a bunch more proof of concept. I think Arnett is an incredible defensive coordinator, Um, really going all the way back to San Diego State. But what he did with some of the state defenses with an air raid offense on the other side, he's clearly a bright guy, but you can be an incredible defensive coordinator and not be a good head coach. I'm not saying he's not going to be a good head coach. One of the things I think that he's done that's been very good is immediately recognize, even though some people, it seems like in that side of the state, want to put their head in the sand, He's kind of openly acknowledged, hey, we got to get our, you know, what together with NIL. Like, and he's written pretty open about let's raise money for the Bulldog Collective. And that to me is a broad sign of like, all right, this guy kind of gets it. Like he knows what he needs. He knows what he doesn't have yet. But to he your needs point, to change the mindset of the fan base there. And, and this is something that I've got to be careful saying because it offends people. But it's going to be hard there, to do. There, there is a mindset among the average Mississippi State fan. I know this doesn't apply to all of them, but they're, from my vantage point, Ole Miss fans have embraced the NIL era more so than Mississippi State fans, and it's not particularly close. Every Ole Miss fan I talk to, with few exceptions, is like, got to give NIL, pay them whatever. I don't care. Give them the money. Figure it out. Pay them, pay them, pay them. I just want to win. That's all I hear from Ole Miss fans. 
They made it seem like you're joining a club when you give to the Grove Collective. Are you doing your part or you're that asshole yeah. at the bar who's not? And from state fans, there are some that that have that same mentality that, yeah, got to give, got to win. That's what you got to do. My colleague, Brian Haydad, there's no secret. He, he loves Mississippi State to death. And he is very, if do you want to win? Well, then you got to pay. It's that simple. Do you, do you want to win or not? But there are other people very prominent media personalities involved in Mississippi state that spend every day almost ripping on the concept of NIL. And as a fan base at large, there are more people that don't like it and don't contribute and don't want to, and don't think it's right as opposed to their old Miss counterparts. And, and yes, they have done a much better job since John Cohen left of raising money. John Cohen didn't, was not forward facing an NIL at Mississippi state. Their first in NIL program was initial incubation period can set you back further than you think. I think we may look back and say, hey, if you didn't act in the first nine months, even if you tried later, that could set you back. I think yep. Cohen could have done more damage than we think to state. Anyway, continue. Sorry. No doubt. And, and they believe that his first NIL, the, the first thing was baseball. That was their first NIL thing was freaking. Baseball. Can't do that. No. And so it's improved a lot. It it, it has a, a lot, but. I, I would bet my life, my car, and my house on Ole Miss has significantly more money currently raised and able to use than Mississippi State. And if if somebody from state tells you that that's not true or they're equal, they're wrong. They're wrong. It's and, changed a lot lately, but they're still wrong. And it's not like they can't fix it. I don't mean to like sound like totally doom and gloom with it. That Zach Selman, their new AD, seems like a pretty sharp guy. I think he's pretty young. Have y'all had him on it. the show? I know nothing about yeah. him. Yeah, um, he, he's very smart. Uh, he's also he's very good at at speaking without saying. Uh, he's very good at that, and that that's a compliment. That's a to hell him. of a it's, trait. That is him. Uh, but but behind the scenes, he gets it and he understands uh, that 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 needs to be what they do. So that, if there's reason for optimism. You have yes. a head coach that seemingly gets it, an AD that seemingly gets it. It's just can you make up the ground that was lost in the initial incubation phase of this? Is that phase yeah. basically mm -hmm. fair? That, that that sounds fair. Yeah, basketball coaches is, is also uh, very like open about. Yeah, that's got to be how it is, and they're trying. It's it's just they they were set back. I mean, th there's no doubt that that they were set back uh, out of the jump, and some of that I think is mindset, and some of that I think is John Cohen. Which is him. a shame because you can fault Ole Miss for a thousand different things. The one thing they got right was the fact that they acted on it. And it's a credit to William Liston and whoever else was involved in getting that thing together. If you didn't act in the first six months, it felt like you missed the launching pad. Although I will say again, putting it back to a positive spin, State seems like they have competent people in place. I, that Selman guy seems very smart. Yeah. It's clear to me that um, Arnett gets it from the NIL standpoint. And if I had to bet, I think he ends up being a pretty decent head coach. It's just such a tough gig to go from never being a head coach to taking it over an SEC program. Yeah. I don't know what the success rate is in general, but that puts you behind the eight ball. Honestly, I'll put it to you this way. I'm rooting for him. He seems like a cool dude, relates to his players, understands what it's about. I just hope he's not set up for failure in a similar way that Matt Luke was, if that makes sense, even though he's yeah. more qualified. He is more qualified. His defenses have been good. Um, he, he has continued what objectively is a, a recent tradition of Mississippi State developing players on defense. Uh, I mean, it, what he, a concept. He, I, I imagine that. Um, a previous Ole Miss coach once said, 
Uh, I don't care if they're all quarterbacks. I want to sign the number one recruiting class in the country. Uh, not the current Ole Miss coach. A previous Ole Miss coach said that uh, per sources in a staff meeting. Not um, that the current one is Mr. Developmental either, to be fair. He's not. What, what do you make of that, by the way? So so Pete Golding's here, and, and I like Pete Golding a lot. Uh, this might This might bother some people. Maybe it doesn't. I think Pete Golding... If you made me bet who's the next head football coach at Ole Miss, I think I might put my money on Pete Golding. I heard rumblings um, from when Golding got hired that that was a long-term possibility. Um, it would make sense, right? He's got ties here. He's clearly hit the ground running in recruiting and like make building relationships in this state. And for all the garbage that Alabama fans spewed about him and the job he did, he is an, he's an He's an excellent defensive coach, man. The it, reason he got hired at Alabama is because he got in a whiteboard with Saban, and Saban was like, I can't let this guy leave the room without a job. Like, that, it, that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, Nick Saban, the greatest college football coach of all time, famously keeps coaches on staff for five years. And again, you can believe my sources or not. I, I, I'm very confident in when I say Nick Saban did not, as some people say, force him out or tell him to look elsewhere. As I understand it, he could have stayed as the defensive coordinator at Alabama if he wanted to. Yes. I think it was similar to the Partridge thing, but probably a little more favorable to the Golding situation. They were kind of two yeah. similar situations. But yeah, Nick and Saban famously keeps defensive coordinators on for five years because they can't recruit and they can't coach. Yeah, sure. that That's totally a realistic thing to think, but he's got ties to Mississippi. He's got the pedigree. He's got players in the NFL. He's got rings. He, he's and and if he does a good job at Ole Miss, and and the defenses get better and the recruiting gets better, and Lane inevitably leaves because he's going to leave. I know people hate the idea of promoting from within. However, that would make sense, and based on what he's done so far, I hadn't coached a game yet. I get it. But it seems like that's the kind of person that would do well at Ole Miss as a coach. One, I agree. Two, as and I'm not putting words in your mouth, I don't think it's anywhere close to like a, hey, if Lane leaves, this guy's the head coach. That no, is no, like he's not coaching. It's waiting. a he's possibility that would make sense. Coach. I'll tell you, when Golden got hired, I will not share this story on air. I will share it for another day. I've told you this. I was very randomly, and I cannot emphasize that enough, randomly placed in a situation where I had pretty good information on how that might go. And it was not, this is not some muckraking reporting. When I say I dumb lucked into this sucker, I dumb lucked into it. And as that golding thing came together, and in the couple of days before it was announced that he got hired, I'll just put it to you this way. It had been broadly floated that that might be a possibility. And not that it's, hey, this is part of the contract or this is why he's at Ole Miss. I'm not insinuating any of that. I'm just telling you in the second layer of circles outside of the people intimately involved in it, that was an idea. And I don't think that came from nowhere. Is that fair? That's fair. Yeah. I told you how I got like somewhat connected to that, right? Do you remember yeah. this? I'll tell you off. Yeah. Yeah. It was complete dumb luck. 
But anyway, anyway, yeah. So, so Pete Golding comes in. I I think he's going to do really well because I think he's really good in fielding top 10 defenses in the S and P for five straight years. Yes. I understand he has Alabama players, but when you consider the league that they coach in, it's an incredible accomplishment. Uh, Look at the recruiting on the defensive side of the football since he's gotten there already, already, but this year. So Johnson's back. Pegues is back. The other defensive linemen that they're going to rely on transfer in Harris, transfer in Ukwu, transfer in Win, transfer linebackers or a freshman linebacker, basically, with the exception of what Kari Coleman and uh, I mean that that's it, right? Ashanti Sistrunk, I guess, will will be a backup to some degree. They added what six secondary guys, so a silver lining to all the newness is it's a bunch of guys that have played a ton of football. Like Uku has been in a system for years. Wynn's been in a system for years. Harris years. Gene Baptiste years. On and on and on. All of them have. But are you concerned that it's so new that they won't be able to acclimate and gel and learn a system and be good enough in time to be impactful with a schedule that's a little bit less backloaded than it was last year? I agree. Monty Montgomery's the other one in there. The kid yeah. that got from Louisville. Played football for years, you know? I was trying to think of the same thing when you said that. I was like, shit, I know I'm forgetting one. But you're right. So, I mean, my general vague thought on this thing, and then we'll get to the last couple of schedules, and I swear to God, I'll let you get out of here. But, like, my general vague thought on it is I don't know that, that they have enough front seven guys in particular depth to be particularly good this year, but I think Golden will fix that almost immediately, and that's why all eyes point to 2024. I think 2024 might be the ultimate prove it or lose it. I don't even think that's the saying for Ole Miss football and this current staff to the point where all like from an all or nothing level, I think that might be the like prove it or lose it type thing. Then we've seen in a long time, if that makes any sense. All eyes to me point to 2024. Not that 2023 is a wash or anything like that, but expanded playoff golding in his second year, if all things go well, I would assume Dart is back. I, that's a wild assumption to make again. But just say best case scenario happens in 2023, Dart is back for a third year. That's when well, you kind of point and be like, how good are you as a program? It, well, if best case scenario happens in 23, doesn't Dart go to the NFL? Well, that's fair. Best, best case scenario. But he's a... Are you convinced that he's the guy? Um, No. My theory is this, is I think, and again, this is based off of nothing other than just my own opinion. I think the whole Dart versus Sanders argument is a little bit potentially losing the force for the trees. And I guess what I mean by that is whoever wins that job, it seemed pretty apparent during spring that Walker Howard can play football. Yeah. And that kid can absolutely sling it. Well, no matter who wins the starting job, what happens if Ole Miss struggles out of the gate? Even if they win games, the offense sucks. Guess what the message board is going to be calling for? Put the kid in. Put the kid in. Let's rip off the band-aid. Let's go to the next generation. I think that might actually end up being the storyline. Could end up being totally wrong. I wish the best for Jackson Dart. Uh, People associate me as a Dart guy just because I talked to his dad for a couple hours at a coffee shop one time. Their family seems nice. I like them. I wish the best for him. But I can't tell you I'm totally convinced he's the guy. I'm not either because it's still bringing in Sanders doesn't totally make sense. I mean, the room got better uh, without a doubt. I I will say that 
I think that Jackson received a bunch of unfair criticism from a, a subset of Ole Miss oh, fans nice. last year. Uh, just the the unwillingness to let a 19-year-old quarterback make mistakes sometimes uh, was kind of mind-blowing. Matt Corral in 2020 and 2019, was he the same as Matt Corral 2021? Not even. I mean, it, it, the, I mean the, the difference that 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 kid, the improvement that he went through from 19 to 20 to 21 is what you should expect out of most quarterbacks. Jackson Dart has arm talent. He has physical tools. He can run. He's tough. He showed you that he's tough as hell, but he showed you that he's flawed. How many 19 year old quarterbacks are perfect at 19? They came from a bad situation from where they came from. They, they, he, joined he made an awesome and... situation out of the USC thing. That could have been way worse. He would have been the returning quarterback had anyone but Caleb Williams transferred. They yeah. were just saying. But, but he, and he joined Ole Miss in February, and he's 19, and he took half the reps in the spring and half the reps in the summer and half the reps in training camp. And no, he was not perfect or anything close to perfect. But there are people that somehow watched him play last year and don't see a really high ceiling. And, and I, I can't I can't talk to those people because I, I don't know how you watch the same thing I did and, and take away that's not a future good quarterback. That that there's I don't understand it. He's not a finished product at 19. How many quarterbacks were great at 19? Manziel? Uh, who else? Uh, Cam Newton? I, I mean, it, it takes time for these guys to grow and develop and Matt Corral made such horrible, horrible mistakes in 2020. And in 2021, he was basically perfect. I uh, I think Dart has potential, too. If there's an educated faction of the faction of the fan base that you're talking about, it's the fact that the deep ball, that simply has to get better. That yeah. would be one limiting factor. It, and it, it, But the thing is, it can. It can. It, it's not like he doesn't have the arm to do it. It's technique, it's footwork, it's it's things like that, which you can improve on. And apparently, during this or since last season, people took too much away from the spring game, also. But all the reporting out of spring practice was Dart got better in those categories, very clearly improved there. So and maybe he doesn't win the job, maybe Sanders overtakes him, but Man, I, I think some of the criticism of the season he had is is unfair because they're, it's like you're comparing him to finished product Matt Corral. And finished product Matt Corral looks the exact same as Bryce Young in minicamp. He's they look the good. exact same. And Dart killed a mountain lion in the offseason. I don't know if you saw that sucker. It was pretty large. So you don't have to question whether his mind's right. All right, to wrap this <laughs> thing up, Let's go rapid fire through some of these schedules. Um, I want to start with Arkansas because I think this is interesting. Arkansas in 2024, LSU, Ole Miss, Tennessee, and Texas at home. Auburn, Mississippi State, Missouri, and A&M on the road. Does that not feel like a gigantic break if Sam Pittman sees another year? Yeah. Um, there's no Alabama, there's no Georgia, and there's no LSU on that schedule. Excuse me, LSU, sorry, is on that. I keep doing and that. And don't forget that AM game is technically a road game, but it's neutral site. They got to stop that. I, I agree. I, I think anyway. Uh, but yeah, so they only have three road games, and it's Auburn, Mississippi State, and Missouri. And you get, yeah, <laughs> that's a great way to put it. I mean, that that seems, if Sam Pittman can have a good year next year, that's how he parlays himself into another four-year contract, even if it doesn't work out. Yep. 
hundred percent. And Auburn. the other, oh, go ahead. Uh, just the other most difficult schedule on here. We mentioned it before briefly, but a- Alabama, I think, has the most difficult schedule in the SEC in twenty twenty four. I think it's them. I'll go there next because I was going one way on this graphic that I saw, but I'll go the other way. So Alabama, their home games in twenty twenty four are Auburn, Georgia, Mizzou, South Carolina. Their road games are LSU, Oklahoma, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt. I feel like that they got to the end of that meeting. They're like, holy cow, Saban's going to kill us. Let's throw in Vanderbilt at the bottom. But the seven of those are pretty brutal. That's And don't forget, they're in Madison, Wisconsin that year too. So you have a game at Wisconsin. And again, I'll just reiterate this again. You have home games against Auburn and Georgia, Missouri, South Carolina being the other two. And you have to go to LSU, Oklahoma, and Tennessee. Woof. And Wisconsin. Yeah, I think after looking at them all, uh, that in Florida are the two most difficult schedules in the SEC in 24. Florida made the worst decision in their non-conference scheduling ever. You can either say it's a terrible decision or respect the hell out of it, but um, they have Miami, Florida State, and newly anointed member of the Big 12 UCF on their schedule in 2024. So I saw this, and that's just where we'll go next. Um is Florida. So their 2024 football schedule is released. And the first graphic that I have is just their SEC-only game. So they get Kentucky, LSU, Ole Miss, and A&M at home in 2024. And on the road, they go to Georgia, Mississippi State, Tennessee, and Texas. Look, Mississippi State's pretty tough to play in Davis Wade Stadium. But if you're ranking the four road games that they got, Mississippi State's fourth out of the four. And that's, I mean, that is like a compliment. That's that's brutal. Yeah. Everything about it is brutal. And my question is, will Napier even see that schedule? Will he, will he be the coach then? Oh, I think they'll give him enough time. I'm still, Weldon's got me into the Napier cult. I think that guy knows what he's doing. I don't think what he built at ULL was an accident. It's just a matter of someone gives him enough time. But to your point, on top of that, I just pulled up their full schedule. Their non-conference games are Miami at home. Okay. not a, I mean, That's not something where you show up and you're like, when do we play the backups in the fourth quarter? Sanford at home, UCF at home. And then their one away non-conference game is Florida State. And that's what brings me to what one of the things I wanted to ask you is, with this whole 8-9 thing, and I don't know how it's going to work out, does South Carolina's and the Floridas of the world, where they have to play Clemson every year because it's traditional rivalry, does that end, or are they just at a gigantic disadvantage? I don't care what for what shape Florida State is as a program. If you have to schedule another Power Five opponent, which they did in Miami, that absolutely sucks. If you have to do Florida State and plus one, are they not at a disadvantage? How is that rule going to work? Do you have any insight on that? No idea. I I don't think they've decided yet, honestly. And that's part of the reason why I want them to keep it at eight. If they go to nine and remove the requirement, I don't want that. I want the requirement to stay. One way or the other. But that screws them. Yeah, it does. Completely. So you're just cool with it in the name of regional rivalries, which I am too, because to hell with Florida, to hell with South Carolina. But if I were a fan, I'd be like, to hell with this. What do your South Carolina people say about that? If they have to go to a nine-game schedule and schedule another Power 5 opponent, and oh, by the way, Thanksgiving Clemson, I'd be like, what, what the hell is this? I remember the legislature uh, during the COVID year lost their absolute mind when Clemson and South Carolina didn't play each other. So that that will never go away regardless. Like lawmakers will force them to play each other. Will, will, they will force it to happen. 
That's a major disadvantage, in my opinion. LSU, they get Alabama at home, Ole Miss at home, Oklahoma at home, Vanderbilt at home. I feel like Vanderbilt was just woven in as who did we screw over more. But again, I'm just reading this in real time. Arkansas on the road, Florida on the road, South Carolina on the road, Texas A&M on the road. That's pretty brutal in its own right. That didn't get a lot of traction. A lot of the internet memes were, my God, look at Florida's schedule. LSU's pretty brutal, too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but but when you go through these, as you're going through them. It's everyone, I guess. The, it feels so balanced, and I don't like giving credit to the SEC, but I guess I will. I think they did a really good job here. No, none of them, with, with few exceptions, like Alabama seems tough. A&M kind of got a break, but they all feel equal. Like, it's kind of the same take for each of them. For me, it's... Ooh, that schedule's tough. Well, let's look at this one. Ooh, that schedule's tough. Well, you know what I mean? It's a great point. And to bring this podcast full circle, who's the one so far that we've said, ah, they feel like they caught a break there? Arkansas. Arkansas. There's two out of the 14, in my opinion, that caught a break. I'll go to A&M's next. Arkansas, LSU, Missouri, and Texas is home. To your point, as of now, that will be in Jerry World with Arkansas, but whatever. Auburn, Florida State, and South Carolina on the road. That didn't, that feels like a break to me. No Alabama, no, no Alabama. Georgia, and you get LSU at home. Yeah, when you avoid Alabama and Georgia, they're the only ones, right? Yes, but that's the whole point of what I was talking about earlier. You could be that one of two schools that gets a break in a given year, where in the current past ecosystem, Ole Miss was never getting a break. Mississippi State was never getting a break, I guess is my point. Yeah. You could be AM. You could be Arkansas. Their schedule in 2025 could absolutely suck. But that looks pretty palatable on the surface. It is very palatable for um, Jeff Trailer uh, to to navigate. <laughs> we won't go through all of them. Let's let let's wrap up the podcast with the two new entries. How about that? Yeah. Oklahoma. I wish these were in order because this would be perfect because Alabama is the first one listed. But they get Alabama at home, South Carolina at home, Tennessee at home, and Texas at home. I'm assuming that will still be played in Dallas. Yes. Yeah, they're going to keep it in Dallas. Although I wonder if that's going to be on uh, Thanksgiving, possibly, moving forward and supplant the Egg Bowl because they have played 69 times on Thanksgiving, uh, Texas and Texas A&M, whereas the Egg Bowl is uh, less than half of that. That would be a blessing for Ole Miss people, in my opinion. I think so, too. So for OU here, their home games are Auburn, LSU, Ole Miss, and Mizzou. Last half seems a little bit manageable, but they definitely gave them the taste of the SEC, did they not? They get Alabama, Auburn, and LSU in the same year. The only one out of that juggernaut is Georgia that they're not getting, and they get two of those suckers on the road in addition to a neutral site with Texas and a road game at Tennessee. Yeah, and uh, I'm excited about Oklahoma especially. We talked about it earlier. I think they're going to make that trip to Oxford. Uh, You know, Fan reaction online is always anecdotal, but their their fans seem to be fired up about going to the Grove. That's what they are. They're like, let's go to the Grove. We got to go there. We got to go there. That weekend's going to be a lot of fun two years from now. Ole Miss and OU people will get along. Mark my words. They're that, kind of yep. Texas light. Yeah. All right, last one. We'll go to the Texas schedule. Florida, Georgia, and Kentucky at home. Excuse me, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, and Mississippi State at home. Arkansas, Oklahoma, again, neutral site, Texas A&M and Vanderbilt on the road. Man, it feels like Texas got the better end of that deal. I see no Alabama. I see no LSU. I see no Auburn, and they get Georgia in Austin. Don't forget about that Mississippi State game, though. you got to emphasize that. That's going to be a big one. 
in all seriousness, the difference between the Big 12 and the SEC is that game. Oh, we have a, I was about to say Kansas State, but it's not a great example. Oh, we have a struggling Iowa State this week. That's going to be the rude awakening is we've lost two or three. Oh, and we have Mississippi State coming in to Austin this week. And guess what's not going to be a cakewalk? Yeah, that. Mississippi State, who has a handful of NFL guys in their front six. That's going to be I mean, the biggest adjustment. I, I was kind of sarcastic there for a second, but but in all honesty, no, you're exactly I knew what you right. meant, but like that's the biggest adjustment of what they're going to the go difference. through. They're going to turn their nose up at a game like that, and they're going to get punched in the mouth because there's a guy like Nathaniel Watson playing middle linebacker, and and it's but it's not just him. It's that entire defense is filled with guys that they don't see every week in the in the Big Twelve. They just simply don't, and man. They're they're going to have a harder time than the A and M people had when they joined because you remember their reaction. I totally agree with this. They're going to have a harder time with it because they're so, going to get beat a lot. This is a great last topic. Did you see the Cowherd segment today? No. So Cowherd did a. I actually saw this on TikTok. I guess shout out to MC who's gotten me addicted to the Chinese cult that is TikTok. I saw Cowherd's TikTok as I was leaving work today. He had some segment on how there's only really been one program since the 80s that has completely fallen off the face of the earth. They went from competing for titles to not being relevant. I bet you can guess which program this is. Nebraska. Correct. His hypothesis was that Oklahoma joining the SEC, they become the next Nebraska. <laughs> that was his Cowherd's June hypothesis. And while I find that to be totally extreme, there is merit, much like there is in anything in major sports talk radio. It's like, my God, this this guy's hyperbolic, but he might have a point here. If you're not like recruiting the right dudes, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, I could kind of see it. They won't become Nebraska, but they'll be like, why is Oklahoma not in three every year? Yeah. Especially when, you know, they've got to go elsewhere to get their players, right? It, it It's not like, I don't know. I, There's no road game at Kansas. That road game no. at Kansas becomes a road game at Kroger Field at Kentucky where they get up on you 21 to 3 and you're like, my God, what have I gotten myself into? Why do these guys stop the run? Yeah, or, or South Carolina. Yes. <laughs> Literally anyone but Vanderbilt. You could go to I, any school in the SEC and be like, you're dead to rights if you don't show up to play. Yeah. And that's just not the truth in the Big 12. So it's going to be fascinating. This was the uh, wide-ranging wide rambling schedule release podcast i appreciate sort of as always my dude we'll do this again sometime before the season gets here of course man anytime all right that was michael borky appreciate his time as always thank you for listening to this show as always we'll be back a little bit later on in the week but uh once again thanks for listening as always we'll catch you here in a couple of days